This is the Action Network Podcast. It's good. All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's down to seven seconds. It's the truth for the win. Good. They did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. Shock it off in college basketball. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. This is the final four betting preview. I'm stuck in with me as always is Colin Wilson and Mike Randall. Colin, sorry you're not heading to Indianapolis this weekend, but it was a good run for your Hogs. Ready to uh, break these games down? Yeah, it was a great run for the Hogs. I, I couldn't be more proud of an Elite Eight. You know, at least we were right as a podcast saying that we they can't win the national championship. Uh, they just didn't have all the components, but Musselman's out there recruiting, getting some transfers into the program, and we get to sit here and talk about how I have two 80-to-1 tickets, and one of them I cannot, couldn't sell for even value for what I placed on it. We will get to, yeah, some some futures hedging for anyone that followed. We'll also talk some potential national championship lines. We'll have a live show on Monday for the national championship, but no podcast. Uh, we'll have tons of content out on actionnetwork.com and the Action Network app. Randall, what's going on, brother? You ready to get into these final four games? Yeah, man, that Arkansas game is proof that Rocky is real. I mean, how many times? I mean, we're, we've been calling the dip, buy on the dip, right? <laughs> and they come roaring back mm. yet again. The note thing was huge, but great effort by them. They're going to be solid next year. And yeah, man, we got two final fours. Let's get into it. Oh, yeah. Let's do this. All right. Let's start with the first game on... Saturday. Now these games are earlier than usual, which I didn't. I just realized earlier today. Starts so five fourteen Eastern on CBS. Houston at Baylor. Baylor is a five point favorite over under one thirty four. So how do these teams get here? Well, Houston became the first team in NCAA tournament history to get to the Final Four by beating four double digit seeds. Now you can only play the teams that are in front of you, but it was definitely a beneficial draw. And it's not like they rolled through, right? They had that huge comeback when Jarrell came back in with some late heroics for a 14-2 run to close against Rutgers. Oregon State had that huge late second half charge, tied the game with, I think, like five minutes ago, and then Houston extended late. Meanwhile, Baylor has had a much easier cruise to the Final Four. They've won every game by at least nine points. They appear to be back to pre-COVID Baylor. If you've been living under a rock, Baylor dealt with some COVID issues in early February, had like a three-week hiatus. They weren't practicing. They had a lot of guys that were infected. And obviously when they came back, there were some struggles early to be expected. The defense just looked a step slow. The defensive efficiency metrics were down. But look, a week off after the loss in the Big 12 tournament, a week off you know, in between the first and second weekend seems to have served them well. They seem to have everything back and, and just they're they're rolling now. Not as dominant as Gonzaga, but right there. When I look at this game, these are two teams that really take away everything that you want to do in the paint. 
right? Like you can't, it's Houston just clogs up everything. And they're also excellent on the perimeter, which is really important against Baylor. Baylor's number one in the nation in three point shooting at over 41%. Houston holds teams at, at right, right over 29% three point shooting. That's not a fluke. The last two years, they've been in the top 10 nationally, really long athletic. The offense is top 10 in adjusted offensive efficiency per Kempom. But if you watch the offense, sometimes you say, how can this offense be created out so well? It's really, I, it, it's, they grind the game. They want to play really slow outside the top 330 in adjusted tempo. They play a lot of ISO. You know, they're, they, they shoot a lot of threes, top 60 in three-point rate. And they're not great at shooting threes either. But here's the thing. They get lots of offensive rebounds. So it doesn't matter if you're if you're if they're hitting threes, great, but if they're missing shots, they just live on the offensive glass. They're second in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. So even if they're missing two shots in a possession, they might have two second chance opportunities and eventually get something at the rim. Baylor, meanwhile, just a plethora of options on the perimeter. Not a post heavy offense, which is good against Houston. You don't really want to run a post heavy offense against that D. Baylor just has shooters for days. I think they have five guys in the rotation that are over 39.5% from three. This is a defense that is ultra aggressive as well, third and turnover rate. They can get out and guard you. No middle defense. Don't want you to get into the paint. But because Baylor is so aggressive, they are a bit vulnerable on the defensive glass. So teams can offensive rebound against them. Not It's not a great defensive rebound team because they're aggressive. They're out of position. It's not a team with elite size. So there are a couple things that are working in Houston's favor, mainly that they can, you know, statistically, they should be able to get their fair share of offensive rebounds. Houston's defense also ultra aggressive. They foul a lot. Baylor doesn't really draw a ton of fouls. But what this comes down to, to me, is this is going to be a jump shooters game. Like which team can make the most jump shots. And for me, that's Baylor. I think Baylor wins here. Uh, the line for me is pretty spot on. Uh, I might have Baylor in a money line parlay with something. I'll be looking for them live, uh, you know, maybe three or under or second half if they're down. Randall, let me go to you first. What do you see in the all Texas battle of Houston versus Baylor one versus two? If you're backing Houston here, then you need something odd to happen. Some strange thing like the Jules Bernard four threes and UCLA game to keep them close when the game's about to get blown out. Houston defense is phenomenal. They're going to play tough. They're going to slow this game down. The problem is Baylor's defense is also strong. When Houston plays teams that also D up and they can't impose their will and control the pace of the game, it's usually a battle for them. I look at this game, guys, and I say Rutgers could have been in the Final Four because Rutgers absolutely should have beat this team. They just self-destructed at the end. And if you look at Houston, the teams, the, the path here, beat a 15 in Cleveland State, 10 in Rutgers, 11 in Syracuse, 12 in Oregon State. Games during the year, not a fantastic conference, the AAC. They did beat Texas Tech back in November. They're going to need to play their best defensive game of the year. And they're going to have to have some players off the bench like Fabian White have another big game, 10 points, something like that, six rebounds. Traymond Mark hit a couple threes. They need something like that to happen. And I just think it's very difficult for me to see it, even in the situation with Baylor, when earlier this year they played slow teams like a Texas Tech. They played Texas Tech on the road. They beat them by eight. They play Texas Tech at home. They beat them by 15. Similar type of teams, struggle on offense, good defense. Davion Mitchell's at a different level, got into foul trouble, which certainly helped 
you know, the opponents when he was in trouble. Jared Butler also, guys, really needs to start taking over the game. I think that's going to be a bigger deal in the finals against Gonzaga, but it's just tough for me to take Houston here because they are limited offensively. They rely a lot of times on these bomb threes from Quentin Grimes and Marcus Sasser. Marcus Sasser's three-pointers remind me of Mackie Sasser trying to throw the ball back to the pitcher's mound, these huge lobs from the corner. It's just too much for me. Great job by Kelvin Sampson. Tremendous job by the Cougars. I can't see a way they keep this game close, so I'm laying it with Baylor. Five points is fine for me. Colin? Yeah, I actually am in complete disagreement. I'm going to be on Houston in this game. Uh, I, I understand everything that Randall is saying, but at the same time, Baylor is more efficient when they are pushing tempo. When they get into half-court sets, they're just a different offense completely. A case in point against Arkansas. Uh, came out on fire uh, up and down the court and were dominating that game. And then once they slowed it down, they allowed the Razorbacks to get back into it. And if you look at Houston, I mean, extremely slow tempo. I mean, slowest in Division One, But they don't mind being pushed around. If you look at a list of games that they played this year against teams that went up-tempo with them, Houston ended up scoring like 90 points. Uh, Cincinnati, uh, one of the fastest-paced games they had all season. They scored 90. Our Lady of the Lake – Right. Everybody remember that one Uh, possession game that got up to 83 possessions up and down the court, 112 points. Uh, Lamar to kick off the season, 89 points in a game that was all, uh, you know, being pushed on tempo by their opponent. And I think Baylor to be a better offense, they want to push that here because that gets them that doesn't allow them to have Houston set up their defense. And, uh, you know, the best way to attack Houston is to not let them set up that defense, which is extremely good at guarding the perimeter, which is what Baylor wants to do. I saw a lot. I saw so much of Baylor's offense, just shoot threes, miss, tap out, shoot threes, miss, tap out. And I think that's where the problem is going to be because Houston is, what, second best in the nation in offensive rebounding, Baylor's middling in defensive rebounding. I mean, I think Houston is going to snag all of the offensive rebounds. And listen, I, I think it's a toss-up game. I'm not saying Houston's going to win. I think it should be a game that's lined at one. I agree with Ken Palm being at a one-point game. I agree with Torvik being at a one-point game. Uh, I think this is a coin flip. Based on Houston's defense, no second-chance points, and the fact that they just they don't really have an inside presence. Like Vital can get himself into foul trouble. What I've seen Houston do on the perimeter, I feel like they're going to junk it up here, You know, get Baylor out of a rhythm as to where I think Baylor is going to be pushing – tempo. So that kind of leads me into the play that I am going to make on this game because I'll talk about my futures ticket later. I think Houston Baylor is a toss up. So I'd take the points if I didn't already have a futures ticket on this, but I think the over is the way to play. And the reason for that is that, you know, the pace in here can absolutely go up and Houston will allow that to happen. They have no problems going up and down the court. Now, if you want to get into a half court game, it's going to be an under game and Houston's got a great shot. So I think Baylor's going to force tempo and Houston's going to play along with it. If you look at Houston, they're not turning the ball over at all. Uh, it, it's it's We talk about trending metrics. We're going to talk about LSU football and Gonzaga here in a little while. Uh, Houston is just soaring in turnover rate. And Baylor defensive efficiency, I'm not convinced they're back. Uh, against that Arkansas game, I didn't see the Baylor that I saw before. I still see a Baylor defense that can be taken advantage of. And they're not forcing any turnovers. Uh, and their efficiency is just down as a whole. So I think Houston's got a great shot here. I think it should be a coin flip game. Uh, and I think this is going to go over 134. I think it could get up to 140 is what I'd play the over on. I actually think the Baylor – look, Houston will allow you to get in transition. Uh, and I disagree on Baylor. I think Baylor – I think Baylor's back. I mean, that Arkansas team is good, and they still they still covered and were up basically double digits for most of the game. The I just – I think Houston's going to end up taking too many two-point jump shots. And – 
yes, the defensive rebounding metrics are concerning, but I, I think that they'll compete enough on the glass. Houston's so aggressive on both ends of the floor on on the glass, and I think Baylor's going to have some a chance to get out and transition here. Houston is really good at getting back, really well disciplined at recovering, but this is a different Baylor offense in transition. And if you look at spot up shooting per synergy, he, Baylor number the third most efficient spot up shooting team in the country. Houston one hundred and fifteen. I think some of the Houston metrics are a little bit inflated because of their schedule. Um, whereas Baylor, I think they're if you know their total efficiency metrics. Like Kempa makes this game th- like one, I think, which I think is crazy. But I think that that's that's capturing like a month stretch of, of Baylor where they just weren't the same team. There's a reason why Gampam is one and this is at five. I'm a tad over five. I don't know. I think there's just the cream rises to the top here and Baylor gets this done. But I mean, the, the line is, is, is pretty spot on to me. My issue is that Houston in the second half against Oregon State, they were scolding hot in the first half. Oregon State looked a little shell-shocked. They were kind of getting pushed around, which was surprising when you go through Tennessee, Oklahoma State, and Loyola, Chicago. I understand that Houston has a better defense than all those teams, but you figure that they would have been at least a little better prepared. And then the second half, Tinkle goes to that 1-3-1, and Houston's response on offense is to lob the ball back and forth and then hope for a corner three. I think Gorham gives them nothing here inside against Baylor with the no-middle I think they'd have to be scalding hot. 26 points for them in the in the first 19 minutes and eight seconds of the second half against Oregon State. But listen, if they can get some stuff in transition, that will absolutely help them. Collins, right? I, I just, I don't see it. I, I think Baylor rolls here and, and separates and, and heads to the finals. Yeah, and look, it's really hard to find super efficient lines uh, this late in the year, but I think Baylor is the exception. They're ba- the Baylor games because, and there's people with, varying opinions on Baylor because of their pre-COVID numbers. Are they back? Are they not? If you look at some of their computer numbers and different models, then it's capturing that COVID dip. And where are they now? Or do you, do you, and it's something I struggle with. Do I, do you put them all the way back to where they were pre-COVID? Are you 50% there? Like, so, because this is a team before the COVID break that I had them neck and neck with, with Gonzaga. So if you go back to January, it was Baylor and Gonzaga and then a five-point drop-off to the third-best team. And depending on the night, depending on the result, like that's how close it was. It could be Baylor number one. It could be Gonzaga number one. And now, you know, if, if you look at Ken Palm, for example, it's a huge gap between one and two. So I think that Baylor is that team where you're going to have differing opinions in the market. And if you're right, you can find some value in their game. So like if Colin is right and they're not all the way back, there's probably value on Houston. If they are, there might be value on Baylor. I actually think some of the look-ahead lines with Baylor against Gonzaga are too high. Like, I, I don't think that there's – I saw some six-and-a-half. I would I will gladly take Baylor plus six-and-a-half if they face Gonzaga. Any, any thoughts there, Randall? Yeah, I, I was saying on – I was doing a, a spot before. I was saying six-seven is starting to get iffy for me. If it came out five, I would probably lay it with Gonzaga. But you're right. It's almost going to be too much of a correction because I do expect we'll get into it in a minute. You know, out of these two games, obviously the Gonzaga UCLA one, I expect to be a bigger blowout. I think the line will reflect that. So there is a point at which, even though I think it's Gonzaga's year, where that line's going to be really sort of interesting. And I think it's right there, like you said, stuck six, six and a half. Starts getting to that point. That's going to be a buy on Baylor for me. hundred percent. If I get a seven, I'm taking six and a half. I'm 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 taking the seven. I would hammer. Uh Colin, any thoughts, early thoughts on a, a Baylor-Gonzaga potential final line, look-ahead line? 
Yeah, projection that I've got is minus 4.8 on Gonzaga for I. So I agree with you guys. There is value on the Baylor number, anything over five for me, with a total of about 165. I think the question that we got to do our homework on is if Baylor wants to go up and down the court against Gonzaga, I think they could absolutely get thrashed. Uh, the 165 will get <laughs> it'll go over pretty fast. Uh, I think Gonzaga would cover the number. What's Baylor going to try to do uh, from a pace standpoint? Because this Gonzaga team, which will lead into this handicap here, is one of the craziest all-time transition offenses I've ever seen, and I'm seeing it in the advanced trending stats too. I just think I personally just think that Baylor can score with Gonzaga. I don't really think you can slow down Gonzaga, but there are some weaknesses on the Gonzaga defense. And look, their their defense is excellent. It's top five in, a, in adjusted efficiency. But if you have a team with and they can switch everything, but Timmy is exploitable. Kispert's not the best perimeter defender. With all of Baylor's perimeter players, I think that they could potentially keep up with Gonzaga. I wouldn't mind an overlook. It could be an absolute shootout. I think the way that Baylor wins that game is they have to win like 88-85 which is ridiculously high for a national title game where teams come out a little tighter at first in general. But that would be my thought. Like, And I I personally think that I told myself and I've been telling myself that I'm not going against this Gonzaga juggernaut, which will lead us into the next game, unless they face Baylor. Because And then it will come down to do I think Baylor's back because the, mar- the market doesn't because I had these teams pretty close. And obviously, I've adjusted Gonzaga up. I don't think it would be a pick, and I don't have it as a pick. But I may have it after what I see this weekend. I might have it around three, three and a half. So that's where I think – and that would be a crazy difference for a national title game. So let's go into that next game. UCLA – by the way, we have the, we have the three-man weave guys. We'll do a weekend – a Final Four six-pack. Right, but before we get to Gonzaga-UCLA – I want to tell you about our friends at Athletic Brewing Company, makers of America's most flavorful non-alcoholic beer. Athletic Brewing makes beers that celebrate the innovation of great craft beer, but without the alcohol. So if you're thinking of taking it easy on the booze this April and keeping your gambling wits about you, Athletic Brewing's award-winning beers are a great option. If you want to support this show, head to athleticbrewing.com, check out their selection and place an order using code ACTION15. This gets new customers 15% off their first order. And if you order two or more six packs, shipping is always free. That's athleticbrewing.com. Use the code ACTION15 on that first order and enjoy great taste while keeping your gambling edge. The Athletica is super tasty. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you that. Let's move on to Gonzaga UCLA. It's the late game. 834 Eastern on CBS at BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network podcast. Gonzaga is a 14-point favorite over under 145 and a half. This will mark the highest spread in Final Four history. If you include national championships, it would tie, if it closes 14, it would tie 1996 Kentucky-Syracuse. I think Kentucky won that game 101 to 73. So how did UCLA get here? Well, they became only the sixth double-digit seed to make the Final Four and only the fifth 11th seed. They became only the second team to go from the first four to the Final Four, which VCU did back in 2011 as an 11th seed. The results of those other double-digit seeds that got to the Final Four, not too promising if you are a UCLA fan or backer. Loyola Chicago 2018 lost 69-57. 
Syracuse 2016 is a 10 seed, lost 83-66. Mentioned VCU, they lost 70 to 62 against 8 seed Butler. 11 seed George Mason in 2006 lost 73-58, and LSU in 1986 as an 11 seed lost 88-77 to eventual national champion Louisville. Look, I mean, a lot of people want to compare it to V compare UCLA to VCU because they came for the first four, but VCU won like their first. I won four or five games by double digits. They did win in overtime against Florida State, but this team reminds me more of LSU in 86. They won their first game in double overtime. Then they won at the buzzer and then they beat the two seed by six Georgia tech. And then they beat the number one seed Kentucky by two. Well, what did UCLA do? They've won two games in overtime. They beat the number one seed in the elite eight by two. They've definitely enjoyed a lot of shooting luck for the tournament. UCLA is shooting 37 of 98 from three. 37.7%. 37.7%. Their opponents are 23 of 93, 24.7%. And it's not like UCLA has had a great perimeter defense all year, and it's not like they're facing a bunch of bad three-point shooting teams. Only Michigan State ranked outside the top 101 in the country of the five teams that they've played. From a pure shot quality perspective, UCLA has only had about a 4% chance of making it this far. If you won five coin flips, that's about a 3% chance. And they had two blowouts. So they've had a lot of breaks go their way. But you have to credit Mick Cronin for what he's done with this team. This is a team that lost what they thought was going to be – I mean, Knicks was a highly touted recruit who ended up going to the G League. That was They lost him before the season started. And then you lose Jalen Hill and Chris Smith. Chris Smith was their second leading scorer, averaged six, seven rebounds per game. And Cronin has found a way – to get this team to the final four as an 11 seed when some people thought they weren't even going to make the tournament. They want to slow it down. It's a typical Cronin team. Slow the game down. They want to win on the defensive end, but the it's the offense that has really carried them four stretches and is rated higher from an efficiency standpoint. Tiger Campbell at, at the point, Johnny Juzang, the Kentucky transfers really came on late. And then they have, you know, some some shooters on the on the wings. Riley inside has played really well post-defense and his, and his offense has really come on of late. So it's not a deep team. It's a team that relies on a ton of two-point jumpers, Like, it's a, but they make a lot. It's a, it's a tough jump-shooting team. Defensively, they're not going to force a lot of turnovers, and they've been vulnerable on the perimeter, but it's a defense that seems to be gelling at the right time. They will take on the number one overall seed, Gonzaga Bulldogs. I mean, what, what do I really need to say about Gonzaga? They're a juggernaut. Uh, they've gotten here by beating every team by double digits which they've done in 27 straight games, which hasn't been done in 60 years. The only game they haven't won by double digits this year came against West Virginia back in early December, and Jalen Suggs got hurt in the first half of that game. They've led by double digits in all but 32 seconds of the second half of their four tournament games, and they've just been dominant. And if you still don't buy Gonzaga because of their schedule, you have to stop. Remember, last year, early in the season in the non-conference, they beat Kansas, they beat Auburn, they beat Iowa, they beat Virginia, they beat West Virginia, all on neutral courts. If you throw, The West Virginia game, when Suggs got hurt, they ended up winning by five. The other ones, they won by an average of 17.25 points per game. They have more top 25 Kempom wins than Baylor. Uh, this team is a juggernaut offensively. They're in transition. They're basically impossible to stop. I, you, you have Timmy on the low block. You have Kispert who stretches the floor. You have Jalen Suggs. I mean, it just Ayayi, uh, Nemhart, the Florida transfer. Everything just fits together, and they just run beautiful motion offense. And it's their screening action, their cutting, their ball movement. It's just a, an impossible offensive stuff. Their defense is playing really well as well. So this is a juggernaut. This is the 
deserved number one team in the country, and that's why they're laying 14 points here. I'm not getting in front of the train. I'll go through some of the matchup advantages and potential paths to a cover that I see for UCLA, but I'll start with you, Randall. What do you see in this game? UCLA, let's go backwards, beats Michigan. Hunter Dickinson, very solid, really solid big man, still a freshman, still can only go one direction, not a great jump shooter. They were able to guard him. Alabama, no traditional big. Abilene Christian, one of the shortest teams in college basketball. BYU, Matt Harm, 7-4, plays like he's 5-4. Fine. Michigan State, the last team that had any sort of decent interior presence, they were losing by 11 at the half, and that was in the first four game. Tremendous comeback. Well done. Yuzang, Haquez, made shots. Great. I do not see that here against Gonzaga. They're going to need Jules Bernard to continue these 3-for-3, 4-for-4, three-point games. Cody Riley has done very well. You're right, Stuck. He's played above his head, really challenged people inside, even though he's undersized. He's also been getting into foul trouble very, very easily. And I'm worried about the depth on this team. They don't have a lot of it. They ended up getting incredible minutes from sophomore Kenneth Nwuba, who had 20 minutes and five rebounds and no points. They are not deep whatsoever. Singleton, Kyman, Clark, Etienne, they played five, five, two minutes. They didn't play that much. So they need to stay out of foul trouble. Very difficult. And the difference here is going to be the big inside Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy going up against the Mobley brothers. We thought that was going to be a challenge. He destroyed them in the first half. Got out on the break. Got rebounds. Scored. 23 points, five rebounds, four assists. He can also pass. That is the matchup they don't have. Jalen Suggs is playing at a different level. Fooled around, almost got a triple-double in the last game. He's elevating his stock. And, oh, by the way, we haven't mentioned the first-team All-American Corey Kispert. Great job by Mick Cronin. They're going to try to control pace, and you give Mick Cronin a solid point guard who doesn't turn the ball over in Tiger Campbell, that's very dangerous. I know the line is is high here, and I was all the underdogs in the first round of the tournament, but I'm going with two favorites. I think Gonzaga is too deep. If they get UCLA down, UCLA cannot come back. That's not their style, and they've done a miraculous job while not having really to defend an interior big like Timmy, and I think it ends here. I think Gonzaga rolls. I also mentioned that UCLA has benefited from ridiculous free throw shooting luck the past two games. Michigan and Alabama, 17 of 36 from the line, 47.2%. I mean, and I mean, Alabama and Michigan was, I think, a top 20 free throw shooting team. Alabama's a good free throw shooting team. So, I mean, just if, if the variance monster comes for UCLA and it's looming for three-point shooting, for free throw shooting, that's the last thing you want when you're facing – Gonzaga, uh, I, but I actually think that UCLA has done a good job against some, like, I mean, Emily Christian does have a seven-footer, you know, then they face Dickinson, but those are like traditional post bigs. This is a different animal in Timmy who, you know, he's not just your traditional back you down and that's all he's going to do. He can pass, he has elite vision, the entire offense can flow through him. He has a, just a wide array of post moves. I, so I think that this is a really tough ask. And look, yeah, you're right. If the Mobley brothers could do it, I'm not sure what Riley can do. And he's done a great job in post defense throughout the tournament. Colin, let me throw it to you. What do you see here in Gonzaga, UCLA? Well, if you think that this Gonzaga thing is going to go away, they're bringing in – Drew Timmy's probably going to stay while Jalen Suggs moves on. And Jalen Suggs' old high school teammate, Chet Holmgren, seven-foot top of the class coming in uh, to play with Drew Timmy next year. So – if you want some entertainment on the side, go look up some Chet Holmgren uh, uh, video highlights on YouTube. Uh, Gonzaga is going to be right back here next year. It's insane. Uh, let's talk about what UCLA has to do not to win, to cover. And, and there's been this Gonzaga tax like the last two months. Like Ken Palm has a number. The market's three points higher. 
And it goes back to LSU 2019 football, where a bunch of people that do mathematics and spreadsheets like myself say the number should be this, but the market's at this, so there must be value. But I mean, trending metrics are a real thing that you have to take in at the end of the season. And I don't think that we can exactly calculate how good Gonzaga is. So what does UCLA have to do to just cover the 14? Uh, I mean, Johnny Juzang has to completely dominate on the offensive side of, uh, of, the, of the court. I'm not sure if that's possible. Tiger Campbell has to make every assist. He has to get his hands and transition defense and, and poke some balls out. Cody Riley has to stay out of foul trouble. Jaime Jaquez Jr. has to have more Alabama step back three pointers go in. It's there's I think there's been that shot quality tweet that was put out and and, and I, about what UCLA has had to do to this point. I think shows kind of how lucky they are to be here at this point. And I love UCLA. I mean, I, I've had a future on them the entire season, but I know that they're on house money, and it's not because they're uber talented and they're just you know dominating at the right time. They they've had some serious luck come their way. Uh, if there's two areas that you can beat Gonzaga, it's attacking the rim. I don't think UCLA can pull that off. And then there's two other metrics that are actually falling for Gonzaga. And I mentioned this on the last podcast. One is pace and the other is forced turnovers. So when you look at pace dropping off, you could say that that's opponent dependent. You could say that opponent points per possession, uh, you know, the, the reason why there's a sag there is, is because of, you know, some of the style of play. But the pace is real. Gonzaga's pace of play is really dipping down from where they were a month ago, two months ago. And then their forced turnovers are starting to evaporate. Uh, even though they're winning these games, they're not forcing the ball to be taken away. If you look at UCLA, outside the top 300 in offensive pace, uh, I think that there is a very real chance here that Gonzaga is up by 20 and they are not forcing and pushing tempo on UCLA. And I think it could happen pretty fast. So uh, we just saw Gonzaga balance between 14 and 24 point leads, and they're not exactly firing up and down the court. So for me, I, I think it's it, it's gross, and you and it's I'm not going to enjoy it very much. I'm taking the under in this game. Uh, I think there's a chance Gonzaga is comfortably ahead, and that way they are not pushing pace. And really, to tell you the truth, the only person on UCLA's team that shoots before the entire clock is up is Johnny Juzang. If Johnny Juzang has an open look, he's going to fire with 15 seconds left on the clock. But if, you know, if Gonzaga plays defense, uh, you know, like they're capable of, there may not be any open shots here. So I, I like the under in this game quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, Gonzaga's, their pace is going down. I mean, they're just, they're, and they're putting up 50 at the half, and then they have a huge lead and they're just sitting on it. Uh, it's not like the regular season when they're trying to put up 100. It's the tournament. It's like, all right, we're going to win. And then you, you saw that against USC. They basically bled the clock out for the last 10 minutes. There's a, a couple things that I do like for UCLA here because I think that where it would just potentially lead to a cover or impact the total because in order for this to go over, and I actually show a slight bit of value on the over just from a numbers perspective, but I'm not betting it. I, I The one thing I might, I might look at the Gonzaga team total over, but what this is dependent on is UCLA's success on the offensive side. If UCLA keeps Gonzaga just interested, right, for 35 minutes – which means that they could be down 15 to 20 at some point. But if, they, if they're making and, – and what UCLA has done all tournament is they've just had these runs where they just make every shot. If they can cut it to like 8 to 10 with 8 to go, with 12 to go, right? that keeps Gonzaga interested with their foot on the gas. If it's 20 and, get, and UCLA can never get to within 15, or if UCLA – then Gonzaga is going to bleed it out at the end and it's probably going to go under and UCLA is not going to cover. UCLA would be – it would 
really benefit them to get out to a really fast start here. And at least they don't turn the ball over, right? They're Tiger Campbell's excellent with the ball. And if you just turn the ball over at the top of the key against, you know, Suggs and the Gonzaga pressure that they'll apply extended at times, you turn it over against them. You don't even get a shot off against Gonzaga. And then you allow them to get in transition. That's a death sentence. So at least UCLA doesn't turn it over. They do. I think that they can have some success in the pick and roll and they're going to get some two point jumpers. They can, when Timmy's in there, you know, they can use I think that he's vulnerable. I mean, he's, he does not grade out well defensively. Kispert is very average. So if you look at the Gonzaga defense, they're fifth in the 59th percentile against spot up shots. So like you can, they're all the best perimeter defenders outside of Suggs. And they have some length with a Yai and then they're the 17th percentile in post defense. So you can go at Timmy, which can Riley stay out of foul trouble because he, if he's in, I think it's a huge key to the game because I think he can have some success offensively. But if he's out of the game, you got to go to Nuaba. Like I don't think he's slowing down Timmy in the post, and he doesn't bring anything offensively. I think Riley can have some success. It's actually one of the props that I like in this game with Riley over nine and a half points. Uh, he's scored in double figures in eight of his past 12. And I think that will have some success against Timmy. And I think he's just going to get a ton of minutes, even if he's in a bit of foul trouble. They need his offense on the floor. If he fouls out, though, or like is in extreme foul trouble, I, that's that's the main concern against – but I'm hoping that the you know, final four game refs let them play a little more. Uh, UCLA's going to have to hit shots. Look, this is not a – they are like the, – they take the fifth most two-point jumpers. They are like 335th in rim and three rate. On paper, it's just a super inefficient offense, but they make these shots. They're it's just that's a disaster trying to keep up with this Gonzaga juggernaut. You're just taking a ton of two point jumpers, um, but at least they don't turn it over. I think Riley can have some success in the post. Are their perimeter players making their outside shots to keep them hanging around in the ten to fifteen range? If they are, they'll have a good shot to cover late, and this game will go over because Gonzaga has to keep their foot on the gas. But if you think Gonzaga is just going to blow them out, then it might be it might go how a lot of Gonzaga games have gone this tournament. Get a big lead. I think they average their average first half lead this year is over 14 points per game. Baylor and Houston are second at around 10. They get a big lead. They score a lot of points in the first half. The game looks like it's going to go over, and it ends up not going over. And Gonzaga maybe sneaks over their team total over. That's been like the formula all tournament. Randall, let me bring you back in here. Any anything to add on Gonzaga? You see. It's a great call with the Riley prop. It's burned me twice. The exact logic that you just said stuck is why I bet him over in each of the last two games, and it is not hit because of foul trouble. If he stays on the court, I think he crests that no problem. The reason that I, I struggle is because I think Jawan Howard, who was named coach of the year, had a fantastic year, had a terrible game against UCLA. His go-to offense down the stretch was an NBA offense. They were going four out one in, letting Dickinson, and when Dickinson wasn't in, letting Austin Davis go one-on-one. That's your offense in an Elite Eight game with Shondi Brown, Mike Smith. Wagner had a terrible game, but these are guys who can cut off the post. They can backdoor. They can, the double wasn't coming, but they weren't even relocating the spots to allow that double if it were to come to take advantage of it. Gonzaga is not going to do that. They feed Timmy. Timmy can pass. High post, he's going to turn and look. Backdoor cuts, weak side, pick and pop. There's just so many other things. I think UCLA was bailed out by the fact that Michigan became an NBA offense, just thinking that Hunter Dickinson could take them home. I just don't think he was ready to do that. As great a year as he was, he's still a freshman in a lead eight game. 
Drew Timmy is a better player than Dickinson and Gonzaga with their offense. And we haven't even mentioned Andrew Nemhart, by the way, can't, are not going to stand around and are going to force UCLA to defend off of post speed. And that's going to be really tough for them. Yeah. One other thing to, to note here, you see is, UCLA, they're going to any fatigue here. I don't know. I mean, they're college kids. They've been in the same place, but their starters have played 204 more minutes in Gonzaga. It's the third game of the week. If it's a faster game, maybe legs become an issue in, in the second half for a team that relies on a lot of two point jumpers. They've, it's been a crazy run for UCLA. I don't know. I didn't really bake it into my line, but something worth noting. But yeah, I mean, this, this UCLA defense is playing so well, but they're just, they're getting, no one's making free throws. No one's making threes all year. It's not, it's not been a great perimeter defense, not in the least. They additionally, like everyone on the other team's best players seem to be having like their worst games, right? Like, I mean, what was that from Wagner? I mean, then you get Wagner, you get a missed, he gets a wide open three to tie and he airballs it. Michigan goes 0 of 8 in the final five minutes. I mean, yeah, Juwan Howard did not have a great day. But neither did like almost anybody on Michigan. So, uh, yeah, it's hard to see UCLA. I, I can't envision any world where UCLA wins this game unless Gonzaga is just completely off and UCLA cannot miss. And even then, it's going to be an uphill climb. I, I, maybe Gonzaga goes, UCLA's game plan here is to just foul every possession with their free throw defense. I think I tweeted out last weekend. Yes. If Gonzaga goes, Gonzaga goes 12 of 44 from the line, UCLA can win this game. And Gonzaga's a good free throw shooting team, but who cares? It doesn't matter when you're a good free throw shooting team against the best free throw shooting defense in tournament history. Yeah, the, the other thing I'm looking at is what is what is Mick Cronin, who's, who is I think is a great coach, what is he going to come up with defensively here? That, I think, will lead into what happens with the spread, with the total, with some of these props. Is he going to go try to go zone? Is he going to say, I'm going under every screen, I'm just going to box everything in? I mean, Gonzaga's not a three-point reliant team, right? Like, it's Suggs is improving, and like Kispert's a, a dead-eye sharpshooter, but it's not like a, and they all, they, there's a lot of them that can hit it, but it's not a three-point reliant team at all. But they have guys who can shoot it. But do you just say, like, I am going to dare Gonzaga? Like, I can't stop them in transition. So, and I can't stop their motion and their cutting and Timmy in the post. So I'm like doubling Timmy, I'm packing everything in going under every screen and I'm just making Gonzaga shoot open threes and hoping they miss them. I mean, that would be the, what I would try to do just to increase the variance. Like here, Gonzaga, I don't care. Kispert, you can shoot three open threes too. Everyone shoot open threes. It's better than an open layup drill, which is all Gonzaga has been doing this year. And then the other tricky part is a big part of UCLA's game is their offensive rebounding. It's a good team. It's a, it's a good rebounding team as a whole. But do they just say, like, we're not going to attack the glass at all? Like, we shoot and we run back. Everyone gets back to try and do it, to keep Gonzaga out of transitions at all costs. I just – I don't even know how you do that. Like, UCLA is is very good, top 25 in points per possession and transition defense per synergy. But, I mean, you look at what Gonzaga's done against other great transition defenses, USC, BYU, they've just – shredded them all year. So I don't know what you can do. Uh, any, Randall, any thoughts on what you think Cronin might do? Four things I said in, on the action article to Beacon Zaga that you have to do. If you look back to the last five years when they've been knocked out, one stellar defense. Okay, UCLA can do that. They're going to have to try to take away the three-pointer. I don't think they can let Gonzaga do that. Where they're going to have to give a little is rebounding is overrated. The teams that have defeated Gonzaga, 
they have usually been out-rebounded by Gonzaga. So now that's when you had great players like Petrusev and those guys inside, Shemek Karnowski was a solid player. You have to give something up. You can't go for everything. So if there's a choice to be made, I think Cronin's going to try to take away the three. The free throws are a big deal too, which is laughable because actually Gonzaga hasn't shot free throws well in those losses the last five years. So maybe UCLA's magic continues. And they have to have some level of offensive efficiency whether that's three-point shooting with Bernard and, and Yuzang and those guys, or maybe it's the two-point efficiency inside with Cody Riley. So you have to do those four things. I did not see in any of the past losses in the five years where Gonzaga has been allowed to shoot well from three-point range and lost. So I think they're going to have to allow the two-point shots, maybe allow some rebounds, and not allow them to sit back there and shoot threes. Because if they get up, UCLA is much like a Wisconsin, Virginia, Loyola, Chicago – Everything they do is predicated on controlling the game. And you saw what Loyola Chicago and Oregon State, once they had to sort of extend, jump out, get out of, you know, coming off the, the screen and I'm waiting for you to dribble attack me and you're going to extend your arm, I'm going to take the charge. Once it gets out of that framework, it all falls apart. So UCLA, stellar defense. Don't worry about the rebounds as much, but take away the threes. Hope the free throw def- defense keeps going and find a way to generate efficient offense, however Cronin sees fit. Colin, any other thoughts, props, or the game? Anything you want to add? Well, I think Randall threw out a perfect template to cover the game. I'm not even sure that is enough to win against these guys. Uh, I mean, it's enough said. I think Gonzaga, uh, it, we're looking at an all-time team here, similar to LSU 2019 in college football. I just don't think we can – I mean, even the trends that are going down, the forced takeaways, the opponent's points per possession, the pace – uh, none of those indicate that I mean, UCLA has to have a perfect game and have some help to get this done. This is Action Network podcast producer Matt Mitchell here to tell you our friends at BetMGM have a great new sign-up offer for our listeners, a $600 risk-free first bet. Here's how it works. If you don't already have an account at BetMGM, just sign up, make your first deposit, and place that initial wager. If the bet wins, you get all the money. If it doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $600. It's that simple. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the features gamblers like us love, like live betting and daily odds boosts. Plus, they're compatible with BetSync, so when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your action app. So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $600. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Michigan, New Jersey, Colorado, Indiana, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, or Pennsylvania. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. BetSync not available in Nevada. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. All right, let's build our final weekend six-pack of the year. It's a very special final four version. We're going to bring in our guys from Three Man Weave. We're now joined by Kai McCune, Jim Root, and Matt Cox, College Hoops contributors here at the Action Network. You can catch Three Man Weave on Twitter at 3MW underscore CBB and on the Three Man Weave podcast. Six guys, six picks. It's a College Hoops weekend six-pack. Everyone's trying to get it right, get it right. 
Let's kick things off with Jim. Jim, what do you got, brother? I'm going with player prop here. Mark Vidal under 12 and a half points, rebounds, and assists. I think this is a tough matchup for Mr. Vidal here. They got a really vicious interior defense on the other side of the court with Houston. They work hard on the glass. They collapse on all drives and dump offs, and that's how he scores. Not a post-up guy, but still a real, real tough interior matchup with the Houston interior D. He also has really struggled with minutes and staying on the court lately. He's been in foul trouble three of the four NCAA tournament games that they've played so far. Houston, definitely a downhill attacking team. It's going to be all over him on the glass. I think that's a problem for him too. And then just simply the rebound factor, it's going to be tough against this Houston team. They are one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. Vital's going to have issues trying to compete on the glass there. They will not be able to go to the Vital at center lineup, which really juices his rebound totals. They're going to have to keep a true center on the court. I think that hurts him. Mark Vital under 12 and a half points, rebounds, and assists. All right, good stuff, Jim. Kai, what do you got? Guys, we're going with Jalen Suggs over 14.5 points, plus 100, getting some plus value here. Guys, Jalen Suggs is a stud. Everyone should know his name by now. Freshman phenom for Gonzaga, arguably second overall pick in the NBA draft. Who's guarding him for UCLA? Tiger Campbell, five foot eleven. Tiger Campbell, not happening. His usage has been high all tournament, twenty-two to thirty-three percent usage uh, during the tournament this this season. First round through Elite Eight, he scored fifteen points or more in four of his last six games. He's eleven for twelve from the free throw line in the tournament. I think he steps up here and gets Gonzaga to the title game. Jalen Suggs over 14 and a half points plus 100. I like it. Uh, bring us home, Matt. What do you got? Unfortunately, I'm fading Johnny the Heat Wave Juzang. Yes, it's a scary proposition after his 28 point explosion to get to the final four. But if you watch that game closely, which we all did, this wasn't some three point barrage. This was a dazzling display of tough shot making against the shorter undersized Eli Brooks. I think the regression forces are strong against Mr. Juzang, especially when you, you've, when you factor in the fact that the Zags are going to have three long wings likely to be slotted on him. Jalen Sung's phenomenal defender, Corey Kisper with that length and Joel Yai at six, five plus positional size as well. Expect to see all three of those guys in some combination slotted on Juzang. I got to think those shots are not going to fall. We saw against Alabama the round prior Similar type of DNA with long, wingy-type perimeter defenders. 4 of 12 from inside the arc. I think more of a true function of what Juzang is going to do from an efficiency perspective. However, there are concerns about usage. He's been taking a lot of shots, so he's if the volume's there, you have to be worried. But I do think McCronin wants to play this game at a crawl, which will limit possessions you know, to some degree. On top of that, I think he wants to feature Cody Riley inside in hopes of trying to get Drew Timmy in foul trouble, given how dominant he's been. So... All things considered, I think it's going to be tough for Juzang to score. I think the opportunities will shrink relative to what we've seen in years past. Johnny Juzang under 18 and a half points. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. This not this. I was on the under Juzang when it, I think he went over in the first half. This number is way inflated based on what he's done recently. But uh, look, he's he might ha- he's going to get some uh, open looks off screening action on the perimeter. Maybe get some mismatches and get some two point jumpers. But there is no doubt that this number is overinflated, and I'm sure that Mark Few is going to say, we are not letting Juzang beat us, which is basically what has happened in a few games this tournament. I'm going to build on something that Matt just said. My pick is going to be, I mentioned it earlier, Cody Riley over nine and a half points. He's gone over this in eight of his past 12 games. I think he can have some success 
against Timmy in the post. I think that, look, the foul trouble is concerning, but it's the final four. Maybe you, they refs swallow their whistles a little more, and you have to really keep them in here. You have to, you can't really, it's not a game against Michigan in the 40s where you can you know, just bring in Nwaba and afford to just go 10 minutes without his offense. So I think he'll be stretched. I think he's going to be fed. I think it's a great point that Matt brings up with trying getting Timmy in foul trouble by feeding Riley. So I'm going Cody Riley over nine and a half points. Randall, what do you got? I'm going Jules Bernard under 18 and a half points, rebounds, and assists. He is not the type of guy who's going to dribble, penetrate. He relies on the short jumpers and the three-pointers. Scalding hot from three against Alabama, went four for four there towards the end of the first half, finished with 17 points. He has really been bolstered, his totals, by being able to rebound, which I don't think is going to happen in this game. You have guys on the other side for Gonzaga who get rebounds at a high rate. Nemhart, Ayayi, Jalen Suggs has been tremendous. So I think rebounds are going to be scarce, and I think he's going to struggle. I don't think he's going to hit points. I think the perimeter defense for Gonzaga is very strong. I know they're going to have to go to Yuzang and Yaquez, and I think Riley could if he stays on the court, get some points as well. Tiger Campbell will get to the line. I don't see him getting over this number. If you look at his averages on the year, it's under this number, 18, 18 and a half. I think it's really bolstered by the 17.6 rebounds and two assists against Alabama. First, that was overtime. And second, that was Alabama. This defense is going to be a lot different. Unless he gets hot from three, I don't see him hitting this. Uh, Jules Bernard under 18 and a half points, rebounds, and assists. Colin, bring us home. Yeah, I'm going to do a Houston Baylor over. Uh, I think these are two teams that shoot an incredible amount of three-pointers. Both are in top 55 in the in a three-point rate. Baylor specifically is the best three-point shooting team in the nation. Uh, and I think that they're going to want to push some pace here so that they don't have to get into a half-court offense against Houston. So not only do I expect a ton of shots and coming from deep, uh, if they're going in, that's a lot of points. If they miss them, these are two of the best offensive rebounding teams in the nation. Uh, I think there could be some quick points here. I don't think they're going to have to use that 20 seconds right after they get the rebound. You know, a Houston Baylor over 134, a number that I would play up to 140. I would lean that way as well in the over. One thing to note in some of these final four games and in the national championship on Monday, said this before, these are huge games, right? Like final four, national championship. A lot of times you see teams come out, they might come out a little flat. I I shouldn't say flat, but like nervous, tight. And then it takes a little bit for the game to get going. Remember that Virginia Tech? I mean, the Virginia Texas Tech National Championship. I mean, it was like no one scored for eight minutes. And then in, the game ended in like the hundreds. So if you want an over and you have some over and then it's like a really slow start, you might want to look to maybe add some live. Um, if they come out just a little tight, things start to generally pick up. People shake off the nerves and realize it's just a basketball game. Colin, let me before we get out of here. What are you doing with your futures? Yeah, the UCLA, there's nothing I can do, right? I've got a $250 ticket preseason, 80 to 1 on UCLA to cash out for 20000 So what I've got is two grand set aside. And if I can get Gonzaga to somehow, for some reason, be within 10 points on a live line, something that they haven't been in a, a really long time. I feel like the BYU game is the last time the live market actually had Gonzaga uh, at a pick or plus one. So uh, the goal, I mean, Gonzaga is minus 1100 in the market on the money line. So I don't think it benefits me to take that two grand and try to get my $250 back. It's just not worth it at that point. Uh, so I think the best I can do is hope that for, for some odd reason, UCLA is within three possessions and the live line is, you know, underneath 10. And I've got a, I've got a good looking money line around minus 500 that I can lay into instead of laying into that minus 1100. I think that's the worst route possible. If you wanted, and I've considered this, I think 
Gonzaga minus one ninety hanging out around uh, is uh, a good look for a, a national championship future. If you're holding on to one of these UCLA tickets, you know that would you know give you a number that is going to be better than the money line uh, in the national championship game. National championship game against Baylor should be about minus one eighty five. So I would go up to that point. So I think that's the only thing you can do is either play it live or take a Gonzaga. Uh, future and try to get it above that minus or get it below the minus 180 mark. Interesting enough, one of the books out in Vegas uh, set the line at plus 125 on Gonzaga over Baylor. And they set the line, I think at plus 265 at Gonzaga over Houston. So you could split a couple half units on that if you're holding on to a UCLA ticket. Yeah, I don't think that that's a bad idea. I mean, you, people have to remember how hard it is to hedge. And this just shows you, you have a 80 to one ticket, the final four, but you're a 14 point underdog. So your options are limited. And it's just, it's a good lesson for if you tried to hedge your 80 to one in like the sweet 16, you'd be up a creek right now. Uh, even if you look, a lot of times you say I wouldn't have won a game and then you would have returned, you would have got your unit back. But sometimes these underdogs keep winning and then all of a sudden you are screwed and you will be in a losing position no matter what. Um, so I think it's a good lesson here that. Even when you get an 81 ticket to the final four. Um, and that's generally my, I always say like 100 to one or more. I'm looking to get it to the final four and I'll hedge. But a lot of times you will be able to hedge to the final four, but it's not guaranteed. And especially when you have a juggernaut like like Gonzaga. But uh, Randall, any thoughts? No, I'm not. Listen, I'd love to see Colin get one of these home. <laughs> It'd be fantastic, man. I mean, imagine if he gets UCLA Houston. <laughs> Could you imagine? Yeah that'll, yeah, that'll be the consolation, the consolation prize if... <laughs> If one of them wins, uh, I'll be happy for Colin because I really do want Gonzaga Baylor. I, I mean, I think that'll be the best game. But uh, if that doesn't happen, at least Colin, you can get one of these to the national title. So, what about Houston? I believe in everything I just said. I've got money on Houston. I'm not laying anything pregame. I'm not trying to sell this ticket. I got $250 invested that wins 20 grand. So, what I'm going to do with this game, I have another $2,000 set aside. I actually think this is a game where I'm going to get a live line at a pick. And maybe if I can get Baylor plus two, plus three, plus three live in game, I'll fire the two grand on that and maybe middle it. So it's another game where I'm going to take two grand off of the top of this and try to get some down on Baylor, whether it's Baylor minus one, two plus three. Uh, and then once I get that down, you know, if Baylor wins the game, great. I've covered my futures ticket just fine, made a little bit of profit. Uh, if they lose the game, then I'm going in with a – $2,250 ticket to win 20000 against Gonzaga, and we'll regroup then. Yeah, and you also could, for the – whatever there's two games, like if you if Houston wins um, the first game, then it changes the dynamic of the national title projected line. Um, so you could then reevaluate, and then also you have Houston in the national title. So th- these things are, are dynamic as well. If you're looking to play any look-ahead lines, I actually would take – and these things that get refunded if you're playing these refunded look-ahead lines, I actually would take UCLA plus eight and a half against Baylor um, or UCLA, whatever it is, against Houston. And the reason is, is I think that if UCLA beats Gonzaga, like, number one, the bump that I will have to give them, and number two, the public – and this, these are public money influences these games. It's the Final Four. That's – the public perception of UCLA then after beating Gonzaga. And it's a no risk thing, right? Like, I mean, I, I just think that you could get them plus eight and a half seconds Baylor. I think that line might be like six. If UCLA actually beats Gonzaga. Um, and then you have like, you could lay six with Baylor. You can always come back 
most likely this you're just getting refunded and it's a, it's like you just your money's tied up for a, a day and a half um or a day you're not you're you just get it refunded right when the games are over on saturday um but that's that's something to keep in mind as well when you're projecting the lines if you would have such a massive up, upset like UCLA over Gonzaga the they would obviously warrant a big bump in your in power ratings and then like the public perception bump that the line the look ahead line might not be reflected that you get what I'm saying, Colin? Yep, absolutely. Um, and, and you and I know this from our college football days, right? I mean, there's going to be an adjustment, but you also have to take into account where is the public love going to be after these two games? The team that conquers Goliath is going to be the public darling. So there's no way UCLA plus eight and a half, that's going to exist against Houston or Baylor. The public can move the line. Uh, so I think at UCLA plus eight and a half, you get your money back if they if they lose to Gonzaga. So I don't see what the hurt. Yeah, it's like it's eight hours, right? You'd get it back later that night. I don't know when they refund those. Randall, I'll close with you. Give me your final score predictions for both games. I think it's Gonzaga 82, UCLA 60. And I think it's Baylor 66, Houston 57. It can't be that easy. Uh, Hopefully we have some drama, uh, but we hit all of our bets. I mean, if that happens, we should get a, a, a good national title. But sometimes you have – look, Colin, you're right. I, I In my piece, it's going to be out there. I previewed both Final Four games. I compared this Gonzaga team also to that LSU team. And there's sometimes – and it's something I still struggle with with handicapping and setting power ratings. Like the teams at the very bottom, right, the teams that everyone knows that suck, I bet them too often. And, like, you never realize how much they suck. A lot of times until the end of the year, and the teams that are really good, like both polars, I'm like, all right, I think they might be overvalued now. But you sometimes you just you can't catch up to either one, how good or bad they are, and no one could catch up. I remember in LSU National Championship, I was like, I don't care. I, there's no value, but I'm betting them. Like I, I can't get my number there, but they're going to cover. Let me say this. So we just made the sleeping sound here. Like if, if, if it happens the way Randall just said, everyone in the book is going to be napping. And that's exactly what LSU football did for, for me who had eyeballs on Stucky during the national championship game. He was napping during LSU Clemson because it wasn't even close. So if it happens the way we think it is and, and, and Gonzaga's trending metrics says they're going to win by 30, we can expect Stucky to be sleeping in the book again on Saturday. Was I napping? Oh, you were laid down. I think you had your hat. No, on I was just laying. Yeah, you yeah, was, yeah, I don't was know. Clemson I was, game. Yeah, I was laying down. I was just laying across the booth. Yeah, it was. Uh, that was. But look, we've had we've seen it before. We've seen UNC win every game by double digits in the tournament. It's uh, so maybe they're just one of those juggernauts. But I think Baylor can actually give them a game at least. But we will find out this weekend. We appreciate everyone listening. Shout to the guys at Three Man We for joining us all season. Thanks to Colin and Randall as well. Great work, gentlemen, all season. We will be back. We have we'll have some baseball podcasts. We have uh, we're gonna have to. Colin's already into college football work. We're gonna have some NFL podcasts. I'm gonna do one with Rayvon around the draft, and then before you know it, summer will be here. We'll have some other podcasts coming up. And uh, Randall, I appreciate you being on as always. Make sure you check all our stuff out. ActionNetwork.com, Action Network app. We appreciate all of you who make this podcast. And follow us on Twitter. For all the banter, let's make it a memorable weekend. I'm happy that we got through this tournament and season. So let's close strong. Thanks again for listening. Subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. You know the drill. Leave a review, tell a friend, tell an enemy. We love all of you. Let's have a weekend. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out. First time in two years. Final four popcorn.
We're finished talking. 